are thrilled to have the institutional fundraising platform Instrumental join us as a multi-episode sponsor in Season 5. Instrumental CEO Gary Monglick has created a mini-series of grant tips to help you be more efficient and strategic in your grant seeking. What are your tips for building out an effective grants calendar? There are two things at a high level that you'll want to start with. The first are grants uh, that or funders that you have been working with in the past. Um, so certainly any you want to start with those, those grants that you've been awarded and you want to see if you want to reapply to those awarded grants, um, keeping in mind your, those funder guidelines about reapplication. The second thing you actually want to keep uh, in mind, which a lot of people kind of tend to deprioritize, is the grants that you've been declined over the past couple of years, where you've actually got some sort of feedback where you can show some sort of tangible improvement that you've made. Um, because if you have already applied and you start to build a relationship with that funder, you don't want to totally drop the ball there. The second uh, piece you want to look at are new opportunities that you're constantly monitoring for, which you want to prioritize based on mission alignment, relationship, and strategy alignment. And then you want to distribute the dates ideally so the workload is distributed. It may not be possible, and, and you might need to kind of shift your capacity needs, um, but that's the ideal state. And then um, you can use rolling grants, kind of keep them in your pocket and, and kind of distribute them through the calendar where you have more space. And you can do all of that very easily on Instrumental. To find out more, check out Instrumental.com. Use coupon code HEYDAY50 for $50 off the first month of Instrumental. That's I-N-S-T-R-U-M-E-N-T-L.com. Hello there, I'm Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 5 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. That's right. We're here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, whether you work for a nonprofit, local government, or are a consultant who serves them. On Fundraising Heyday, we will cover the how to's, but we also want to explore the why's. That's W. H-Y-S of things, um, including poking the bear of inequity that roams the world of philanthropy, growling and just being hangry because it's springtime. <laughs> yes, and as always, we do this every two weeks with the help of experts in the field and our own particular brand of entertainment, which may include songs and cheesy sound effects and the occasional y'all because learning does not have to be boring. So let's get started with today's topic. This podcast is brought to you by our season five sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know? that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. So today we are talking about something I feel most of us struggle with in our working and personal lives. You, you know what? I'm just going to say that I struggle with it because you Same. may be out there in your perfect, beautiful life with everything perfectly, beautifully together. And you may just listen to us to feel better about yourselves, in which case, okay. But um, what I'm talking about is the the struggle of wondering if you're doing enough, if you're learning enough, if you're experiencing enough, all the enoughs. Um, yes. So, yeah. yeah that's, that's right. 
And while this is certainly something most of us have probably felt at one point or another in our personal or professional lives, or maybe even both, Mm. um, I think surviving the COVID pandemic has certainly intensified some of these feelings for a lot of us. I, I certainly know it has for me. So you've got, you know, feelings of inadequacy that tend to rear its ugly head from time to time. For me, it's especially happens when I'm going through some new phase of life, right? Like I've got a new job or I'm raising a preteen daughter or maybe helping my 17 year old son figure out what college he wants to go to that, you know, is going to set the trajectory of his whole life is what it feels like. Right. Or maybe it's just running a podcast for his fifth season. There's always, there's always things and they seem to pile up and it's very easy to feel like we're not doing enough, even though we are doing all the things. I think you're doing a fabulous job running the podcast for the fifth season. I hope that it's something that adds value to your life, Amanda. I love it. Okay. So I just want to say, so if you have thoughts and feelings about these kinds of things, or if you know someone who does, or if you are standing next to someone that you're silently judging because you feel like (laughs) they have these struggles and you don't, maybe you should give us a listen. And we are pleased to bring you a guest who knows a thing or two about being good enough now. Yes. And you know, I especially love that she does all of that with a side or maybe even a whole lot of sparkle. So Today's guest is basically my spirit animal and my new BFF, although she may not know it yet. <laughs> and she does a party animal hat. I know y'all can't see her, but I'm Oh, like, y'all, this is, yeah, you need to feel bad that we're not in, going into video the visual pod yep. yet, which is actually a video. Um, but anyway, um, so... Amanda and I first met today's guest when she emceed the Grant Professionals Association's annual conference in 2020. Do we need to go back in time? <laughs> it was all um it was a very it was all of the attendees first virtual event because I'm using my words today in English and <laughs> Um, this guest found a fabulous way to bring us all together, even though we were scattered across the country. If you haven't met her yet, either in person or on a screen, let me be the first to introduce you to Jess Pettit. Jess is a recognized facilitator and educator in the diversity and inclusion space and has spent the past decade coaching, teaching, and motivating thousands of people around the world. Also, Natalie accessorized, I would like to say. Combine this with her expertise in business leadership development and workplace culture, and you will find the perfect partner for clients to build understanding and drive ownership around DEI initiatives. She has a certified speaking professional designation from the National Speakers Association. She's also the author of the book Good Enough Now, now in its second edition, and we are thrilled to have her join us today. Welcome Thank to the you. show, Thank Jess. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. And uh, it's nice that it's not a super visual <laughs> podcast just because I would have really had to up the sparkle <laughs> game. And I might possibly have worn everything I had sparkly at the conference that we did in person in Seattle. So thank you for allowing me to just be in uh, my, my good we're being ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, you do know that uh, since Seattle, uh, Jess and I send each other, anytime we find a good sparkly outfit, we do email the link to one another, just in case we need a matching ensemble for next conference or something. That's important. That's important to keep the sparkle alive. It I really think is. It really is. We're not <laughs> buying the thing. And there's a lot of sizes issues <laughs> yes. happening. We just take a screenshot, send it to each other, show a little love. Mm-hmm. 
Sparkle appreciation. There's also like, oh, trust, don't buy that because I've had experiences in in a pant outfit like that before. (laughs) Oh, good to know. (laughs) Also, I want to say, Amanda, your hair looks spectacular today. Y'all, it's like wavy. It's beachy. It says I'm ready to podcast or I'm ready to drink margaritas or possibly both simultaneously. I salute you and your sparkly earrings. Uh, it's really, uh, you and I are going to a fabulous show this evening, so I went ahead and got myself ready for that. So, anyway. I am wearing my dressiest sweatshirt right now, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I won't, I probably won't, I'm not the sparkly half, and I'm also not the nice half, as y'all know if you listen to the podcast <laughs> regularly. Um, and if you haven't listened to us before, welcome, and I am um, friendly but not tame. I think that might be, you know... <laughs> The way here. Can we have that on your tombstone? (laughs) Friendly but not tame. (laughs) I'll be neither then, so do what you want. It's all good. I think that's actually like the subtitle for this whole industry from what I've experienced from grant professionals and the consultants that work with them. Very friendly, not tame. I'm writing this down. Very friendly, but not tame. Oh my goodness. So while we're all having a ginormous love fest and you're sorting your laundry listening to this podcast, which I imagine some of you do, and I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. Um, We, as usual, have some searing, controversial questions and um, we're probably going to, no, I'm I'm lying. Um, We have, I think, some good questions and we have what I think is going to be a wonderful conversationalist and all around fun person joining us today. So we're just going to glide on into the first question. So um, I'm the one asking that question. So let me go ahead and ask it. So while I was reading Good Enough Now, the second edition, which just promises is gooder than the first. So just if you're keeping if you're keeping uh, track at home, the image that came to mind for a lot of the a lot of the things that um, the, the the exercises, the the discussions, the data, because she covers it all there. But I don't want to. I want you to buy the book. I don't want to give you a full book report on this. But what the overall theme that came to mind was was kind of like when back in the day when I used to fly on a plane, like with a lot of people in the sky, their flight attendants would come out and they would always, either they would mime or um, Delta for a while had the really scary cartoon version of this, which I'd found deeply unsettling for reasons that are my own. The flight attendant would mime putting their mask on. and I'm doing that now before you assist others. And so for me, one of the big take home messages of reading good enough now was understanding yourself and how you're wired to respond and the pros and cons of that. And then reaching out to others, but first sort knowing yourself. So for someone who listening, who just sort of snorted and rolled their eyes and immediately thought about all their deadlines and to do's, um, how do you recommend, Jess, how do you recommend they get started on figuring out the sort of three categories that you were discussing, the head, heart, action, and their roles in it? And also, should we all just buy Magic 8-Ball? Because that also figures prominently yeah, in your the work. Ma- Magic 8-Ball is quite <laughs> helpful. And I think the, the the best way to answer the question may seem kind of counterintuitive. But where you're folding your laundry, you're dealing with your own deadlines, etc. You also are very aware of the person that you're super annoyed with that you don't want to work with or the person that's screwing up your process. And if they would just do it my way, then I wouldn't be here. 
Um, if that's not the case, I would invest in, I'm going to save you a copay, the uh, love language that is holding someone else's socks the correct way. And like, I believe the correct way is my way because I'm folding the laundry, right? So the, the understanding the Preach. my way is not everybody's way does not mean that I'm saying you have to adjust your way to someone else's way. But when we start talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion work, often what we are doing is we are asking everyone else to fold their socks the way we fold our socks so that we are more comfortable. And sometimes the more adventuresome will go to some extra special class to go learn some other way of folding socks, which you still judge as a second better way because your way, of course, is the better way. But now you have knowledge of some other way of folding socks. And what good enough now is asking, which to use the flight attendant metaphor is completely appropriate, is that most of us don't even know that we have a way of folding socks. So what is your way? Who are you? And then can you be responsible for you? One would think yes, but (laughs) I have job security because no, we would much rather critique someone else for folding socks the wrong way. So knowing who you are and how you are is the first step of being responsible for yourself. And then the book kind of takes you through that process. I like the uh, folding socks analogy. For me, socks, not so much. It's towels. I feel very strongly that there is a right way and a wrong way to fold towels. But you're probably the one who folds the towels in your house, right? Does anybody um, else fight you to fold the towels? No, but okay. Well, for instance, something I had to let go of when I was traveling all the time for work, my mother-in-law, who is the greatest mother-in-law on the planet, would kindly come up and stay at my house to help, help things keep running. And she always did laundry while she was here. So I didn't have to come home to mounds of laundry, which was the nicest thing. But she folds towels different ways. And the first time it was all I could do to be like, just... Please don't. But I'm like, you know what? She's doing me a favor. I didn't have to fold it. I didn't have to wash it. I didn't have to put it away. So I just, I, I, I just decided to deal. But it was very hard not to pull them all out and refold them my way. <laughs> so, but that's just that's the type A in me. <laughs> my husband will do that with the dishwasher. It's we, you know, we actually we divide up things. I'm I feel very fortunate that we're in this marriage that we're in together because we. We, we divide things up. It doesn't feel unequal. I don't feel put upon. He enjoys vacuuming. I occasionally offer, do you want me to get you that big fancy Dyson? Because I'll do it. But he says no. He likes a canister. <laughs> but um, one of mine is putting the dishes in the dishwasher. And then I hear him at night and he's rearranging the dishes. <laughs> and it, when we were first married, I used to make me so mad. But now I'm not. I'm like, dude, do what you need to do to feel happy. If you want, I, it's, it's a dishwasher. I'm not attached to that outcome, but he never comes and says, you did it wrong. He just fixes it the way he wants it. So I think maybe that's, that's I think that that, that really gets to uh, not to be like facilitating the conversation, but we start talking about how do we identify what our strengths are and then how do we lead from there or encourage other people to do it? Both of you have used examples that what we mostly do is critique them for doing it incorrectly because our. Or get, or get critiqued in my, get, get critiqued in my case because I didn't do it right. In this case, (laughs) he would be the one critiquing, right? So 
what matters in the grand scheme of things and allowing people to do this. So I was talking to a client the other day and they were talking about how people only complain. Like, what do you do about the complainers? Well, some folks complaining is how they engage. So then there's a difference between complaining and being critical. And usually the biggest difference is the receiver of the information, not the person doing the criticism or the complaining. So Mm -hmm. can you look at those folks that are showing you how they behave? And can you look at them as like, at least the dishes are getting done, at least the towels are folded. And Oh, much more right. efficiently than sometimes I could do. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. So being responsible for yourself is recognizing when is that easier and when is it not? When is it easier to let it go and when is it not? And the idea of being able to kind of identify what your own strengths are and like what was stated, Kimberly, by the pros and cons of that is you then can become very aware of what you are doing that is annoying and at the right moment be like, oh, 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 oh. I'm actually superior at this, right? So like, I'm really good at folding fitted sheets. That is not handy very often, except some of y'all just got very excited by this concept or now want to like have a folding sheet (laughs) off my technique conversation. Other people are like doing the rumble with their hands um, because they don't care, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you have the strengths and you're aware of your own strengths, then you are also aware of the cons of those strengths. So then you can kind of let go and then heaven forbid, give grace to someone else that may actually just have a strength that is one of your weaknesses. That's the truth. It's the truth. No, I was getting excited because I admire someone who has those kinds of skills with fitted sheets. I've seen a couple of YouTube videos. I don't seem to have the spatial awareness uh, to make it happen. So I don't do the rumble and the, you know, I don't do the rumble sort of dance move where you roll them on your wrist, but they're, they're, um, they're serviceable. They're good enough. They're good enough. There you go. Good enough. (laughs) Uh, Well, just one of the things I love um, from your book and just all the talks I've heard you give before is how often you talk about supporting others in their strengths and so wondered if you had some advice for easy ways people can start to do that with their colleagues and friends. So folks who maybe aren't very good at, you know, giving praise to others and saying, hey, you, you're really good at that. How yeah, can we so start the, doing that? The, I get asked this question a lot. And usually what's kind of a latent perfume related to this is how do I get someone else to actually recognize that I'm good at the thing that they're micromanaging? Um <laughs> So it's not worded in the question, but I do think that that's an appropriate thing. And what, you know, not to like quote any Disney movies, but sometimes you just have to let it go. And that's hard. And recognizing what matters and what doesn't matter. Right. So again, I don't know why we're on a folding theme, but I'm keeping it going. But if the laundry is done and you didn't have to do it, and that's someone else's love language, why would you then complain about it because they could stop? Like, allow them their love language, right? Your love language is exactly the way you want things done. And that could be very true. But you can also, like, mute it, turn the volume down a little bit because laundry just got done. Um, But you have to have that self-awareness to do it yourself. And then to your question, Amanda, by being aware, other people will watch you do that 
And then that invites them the opportunity to do the same thing. It's like role modeling, right? Now, when, uh, Kimberly, you mentioned my head, heart action piece within the book. Like you can go to justpennant.com slash survey, and it's like a personality assessment thing. And you can take it as many times as you want, and it will kind of show you which variable is showing up the most when you are answering the survey questions. So it's either detail-oriented, idea-oriented. Those are the people who argue with each other. And then action-oriented is either not doing something or doing something. And we all ebb and flow with all three variables. They are in us at all times. So being able to identify someone's strengths means that there might be a comfort that they're showing up with by by using one or two of those variables more consistently. So then if you're supervising, managing, parenting, leading, whatever them, you can notice those patterns and then play to their strengths. Um, and the, the best way of doing that is to practice on yourself first. Amanda, maybe you and I should do that because there is a part in the book where it's like, if you can't figure out who you are, or you just don't want to deal. That's actually not what you wrote at all, Jess. But I mean, the idea, if, if you're like struggling, how do I do this? Ask someone you trust. We did, um, was it two seasons ago, the Enneagram? I've just found that very useful. And so I basically was going, Amanda, read this, Amanda, read this, Amanda, read this, Amanda, read this. And then she got tired and read the book. And then we took the disc. Maybe we should do this again. I like a good quiz, a good quiz. Yes. Um, well, anything that helps you figure out how you operate, how others operate, how you better operate together, whether it's yeah. a coworker or a family member, it's all very helpful. We were joking before we started recording, like Amanda does all the wonderful marketing things. Like if y'all follow us on Twitter at Funding Heyday, and um, now I'm going to talk, I'm like, and on that Facebook thing that you do, because ancient. Um, So we just, it was great that we kind of fell into these different categories. And I'm sure that I could figure out what she does, but I sure don't want to. And she does such a great job of it. Why would I want to? do that. So um, I think that sometimes you can be fortunate enough to pick people that know more about what you know on something important and work with them. I don't know. I don't know. It's just a thought that I had. Um, Another thought that I had, um, again, with this podcast, we do a lot of how-tos, you know, how to do this, how to do that, based on our experience bringing in experts. But um, a lot of grant writing and fundraising training in general is kind of like that, you know, with, with grant writing, it's, it's very process oriented. So much of the training, you need to get the numbers, you need to follow the rules down to the point size and the font. Um, it needs to be a specific page count or specific character count. And so a lot of the training that I have experienced or that I have given is around those how to's, how to do this, how to do that. But really, for me, what I've learned is one of the hardest things about grant writing or fundraising in general, whether you're coming up with a capital campaign or um, a mailing for individual donors or an email campaign, or whether you're writing a grant, it's actually you spend most of your time not writing and sometimes trying to have difficult conversations with people who outrank you in a hierarchical organization about what grants can or can't do or why it would be a great idea to have a donate now page, um, a site button on your um, homepage, and why that's not tacky. 
which is an actual thing that I had to do recently. Um, how about even though we're eligible for this grant, we are so not competitive. So why would we waste our time? And competitive, <laughs> or are you just eligible? Because there's the difference. But yeah, it's yeah. there, and it's hard to have those conversations sometimes. Or as a consultant, client yeah, or relationship, are you just competitive, and not eligible. That's an important one. Yes. Oh my goodness, that's even that's even mm-hmm. tougher. It's like yeah. yes, you're a hundred thousand dollar a year organization. You probably sure you're a nonprofit, but you can't apply for this five million dollar grant from the federal government and expect to get it because size and scope and admin stuff. I, um, I don't know, Jess, I, I should have written this down. I think maybe it was yes. in a recent newsletter. Or a sign okay. that you might so be a stalker is you're you, reading my stuff and you can't even track its location, but luckily I wrote it. So yes, <laughs> this is from my most. So here we are. I, see, you I, found I, us out. I take fans. It's great. <laughs> So you compared, you were talking about uh, sort of that, a, a mother, I think that it was a mother-in-law watching someone cook the soup that she, the mother-in-law was aces at preparing. And the idea of putting the salt where the beginner cook or the new person to this recipe could find it because they really need to add salt, but you don't want to say you got to add salt because they're the one making the soup. So it was a great analogy and I was super digging it. And I was wondering if you could help us and help the folks listening to figure out ways that you could move the salt so that someone could see it while they were cooking soup, she said in quotes, like some more real yeah, world well, examples too. Absolutely. I'm sure and this really are. goes to the consultants as well, because like you said, some of the applications that people are writing, there's not a lot of flexibility in what you get to do, right? Why do we have to use Times New Roman when like people spend a lot of time and effort coming up with actually legible, more attractive, interesting, intriguing fonts? Nope. It says Times New Roman. Do Times New Roman. So I used the salt metaphor as a consultant that I have learned when I'm working with groups of people, and this would be the same, I'm not a parent and I actually don't have a real mother-in-law. All of our parents have passed away, but I have heard rumors that this is a a similar kind of metaphor of how if a mother-in-law was trying to teach somebody how to cook a recipe better, there is a history of power dynamics involved in doing it wrong, which is fixing somebody else's attempt to cook. Like, that's how it would feel to me. I don't even know how to cook. But like, if I'm actually doing this, similar to the towels, did you want dinner? Or do you want to be right about the recipe? Because that's where we're at right now. Right? So like, get out of my kitchen. Um, So there's power dynamics involved, even though the mother-in-law in this case might actually be correct. The It's more powerful if the chef has the idea themselves. So from a consulting standpoint, although I would imagine parenting, supervision, there's other applications, I often know what the best practice is. And so I was on a call this morning with a DEI committee, for example, and they have this amazing idea. Yeah. So you're, it's new to them, but it's like the 5 millionth time somebody I've worked with has had this idea. So I already know the pros and cons. So then I get to decide as a consultant, do I squelch their dreams and tell them why this is never going to work? Or do I like give them enough space for them to get to the place where they realize they don't have enough staff or volunteer time to do the thing correctly? Or do I let them do it and let it fail? As consultants, our job is, I believe, to be this quote unquote metaphorical mother-in-law of putting the salt close enough 
so that the chef could possibly have the idea of putting the salt in. Now, is this passive aggressive? I think that that's based on intention, right? So kind of, um, yeah. but it is also the case that I cannot make someone do something because when I have done that as mandatory trainings or something like that goes, it shifts the power dynamics. So I used that as a metaphor in that my approach is to also be able to recognize that not everybody likes things to use it literally as salty as I do. And I am very salty, but I need to provide space for it to not be chosen. I need to provide space for it to not be chosen and it still be good. And I need to provide the opportunity to make it better and be open to whatever it is that happens. Can I do that 100% of the time? Uh-uh. No, not at all. That is why salt is also usually on the table during the meal. Um, as a consultant, I have to distance myself from what the client actually does do. And I have to work with what their choices are. That's literally called empowerment. And when we like it, we call it empowerment. And when we don't, we're like, well, cash all checks. I don't know why they didn't listen to me in the first place. And it's usually because our ego is attached to the process. That ego gets in the way of a lot of things, doesn't it? That's a that, but thank you for 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 bringing that using some real world examples. I found it very useful, and I'm thinking some other folks might too. Absolutely. So, well, this past month, I have been swamped with tons of extras, and it really is my own fault for saying yes to all the things, and they were all things that that I wanted to say yes to because they were great, right? Um, but it meant. I took on a journal article for um, a peer-reviewed process. I was a grant reviewer. I am chairing a conference that's happening um, in late April. I'm doing all of these extra things, right? And it meant that in March, I spent a lot of nights and weekends working on this stuff because I had to do it outside the confines of my day-to-day -day job. Um, and while all those things were great, they look good on a resume. I found fulfillment in them. I loved them. But as I'm spending nights and weekends doing this, I'm like, why, why, why do I keep doing this to myself? Why? So <laughs> any advice on how to find the balance in what we say yes to, what we turn down, what we push back for a later date, maybe? Because I, I mean, part of me was like, I should just have a year of no, where I say no to everything, which on one hand sounds really lovely, but I don't know that I want to go to that extreme either. <laughs> I, I did. Was it 2017? I did that. It you was did great. that. It was yeah. Great. I, I think I'm actually <laughs> experiencing a year of no currently. Now I'm still obviously saying yes to things, but those yeses have to kind of plinko their way through a pretty strict set of questions. And ultimately, Amanda, you mm -hmm. answered your own question. And that is, why are you saying yes? And I think by doing our own work, right? Not to like go back to the book or back to my work, but if if you go back to why it is you're saying yes, then it will be more, I have found it even for myself, more helpful of figuring out what I ought to say yes to and what I ought to say no to. And then I allow myself some mm -hmm. allowance of saying yeses to extra things because, and those causes can be, long-term resume building, uh, interesting experience. Um, there's a, a contract I just said yes to that's a former student that I worked with 25 years ago who is now all grown up and stuff and like remembered I existed. It doesn't matter. 
what they ask for, I'm going to say yes. Right? Because like, oh look, uh-huh. there's evidence I made a difference in someone's life 25 years ago. Whatever you want says yes. That's awesome. But now I know I've done that. So I can't like do the extra yeses more because I'm doing this. So I that that will be June 14th. Mm-hmm. So extra yeses can come after June 14th. That's this quarter's extra yes. But I created that structure for myself. The burnout is real. Capitalism is oh, yeah. real. And they have a mutually exclusive happy roommate situation going on in a very small studio apartment. And what we're trying to prove to ourselves or to others is often very much rooted in how the language I like to use is how our life has taught us to be and to show up. So I am not a therapist. I was a ceramics major. But often how we survived the path of our life already has lent us to develop the strengths that make us feel safe and prepared. And so it's easy to say yes if it falls into this rubric of like, ooh, this makes me feel safe and prepared. So then we just keep saying yes and yes and yes. But that's kind of the fight or flight place for ourselves because we're not thinking long term or sharing opportunities for other people. So then what you have to do is really pay attention to your own life patterns. So the language I use in the book is crucible moments, good and bad. What did you do with those? What did they teach you? And how do you still search for the ability to feel safe and prepared in upcoming moments? And then is that something, this is the hard question, why is that Why is that a something that you still want to be doing? Can, can you mm-hmm. learn to feel safe and prepared in a different way that doesn't involve working a hundred hour week? Um, in my world, this always like right now it is May. I have no idea why everything in the entire universe is in May. What is going on? Why, why May? Right. And I've been twiddling my thumbs all March was like nothing May insane pants. So I'm going to have to say yes to some things, but while I have been slower in March, I was able to say yes to other things that didn't feel like work. So I have a thing in my head right now that's like, oh my gosh, I haven't worked in so long. Really? Is that true? Because my desk is a mess. My desk appears that work is occurring. My bank account occurs that work is occurring. Like, obviously I'm doing work, but I'm not doing the work that I normally focus on because that's what hasn't been coming in. So now I'm focusing on what isn't there Mm -hmm. as I haven't done anything. That's all me. That's not anybody else. And so part of the reason that burnout happens is that we've it's self-inflicted burnout. Now, that is not always the case. Go get a therapist, get a massage, go for a walk, go outside. But a lot of burnout is self-inflicted because we are still in this habit of making sure that we feel safe and prepared, always moving forward just in case. It's a protection piece. Yeah. Well, and for me, I think part of it is I'm my natural go-to default mode is people pleaser. And so a lot of the other extra stuff I'm doing is because someone has asked me, will you do this with me? Or I'd love your help on this. And it's very hard sometimes to tell, especially people who are your friends. No, I don't have time for that. (laughs) So are are we, are we having a podcast breakup moment? Is the podcast? (laughs) No. (laughs) Friend, We're doing things. It takes time. But look, this is also an excellent example of putting the salt very close by. 
Because if I had said, uh, Amanda, you're a people pleaser, of course you said yes to a million things. Now, Amanda and I have a relationship <laughs> deeply rooted in all things sparkly. So maybe I would get away with that, saying that directly to Amanda, but maybe yes. I wouldn't, or maybe I didn't feel confident or secure enough to state an obvious thing. So I was able to kind of put some information out there and then see what happens. And what happened was... And she says she was not a psychologist. I didn't even date a psych major. <laughs> well, I was a psych major. So that's what my degree's in. Not that I, well, I use it in everyday life. <laughs> How's that? I bet you use it with me all the time. <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> well, speaking of our bond, of all things sparkly, um, because I am very envious of your flashy wardrobe, I would love to hear what are other things that bring you joy to your life and the power that those joyful things bring to you. What else, what else in your life? Well, does what's that interesting for you? about the sparkly thing is that is a COVID addition to my life. Um, I have, I have been colorful. Really? Like I think since birth, that would be my guess. I, I don't know that I was super conscious of mm-hmm. how I wanted to be in the world then, but um, I have never been afraid of colors or a bold pattern, but uh, I think how I was dealing with my anxiety and depression and isolation inside COVID was uh, online shopping, step one. Um, That is not COVID specific. That's a problem I have. But the quality of sparkle and quantity of sparkle is directly related to not being able to be on a plane or in a hotel for two years in my house. Um, So I have, I, it's a relatively new thing. Amanda, what's funny about that, right, is that our like sparkle interests intersected each other, but mine is a relatively new acquisition. And um, I I bring that because what I think is so fascinating is the root of your question is what brings me joy. And what brings me joy is allowing other people to feel like they can be themselves. Now, that's probably my people pleasery bits, too. Right. So one of our first Mm -hmm. conversations when Amanda's actually the person who was like, oh, you're sparkles. And I was like, really? So I was talking to my best friend and I was like, this is so weird. But this woman I was talking to today was talking about all my sparkles. Isn't that strange? And she's like, have you looked at your closet? Right. Like, what are you talking about? So like my sense of self, right, is that I, I identify as kind of more masculine than I do feminine. I really didn't realize how many sequins I have acquired. And it takes other people to do that. Right. But. I think that there's a confidence and a boldness that is like, for lack of better words, that was like bursting out of me via an online shopping cart that I was able to express and encourage other people to do the same thing, which creates great friendships and relationships and things. That's what brings me joy. And it, it's a a faucet, right? Like there's a power there that I wasn't able to use for myself. It was all external. And then it was present Mm -hmm. when I was available then to take on that kind of power that I was putting out. And maybe that's too esoteric of an answer. Um, Not at all. Well, and it it kills me because like I, I finally reached that stage in my life as far as like the clothing I choose and how I present myself, like I do it for me because it, it, it brings me joy. And the number of other moms I've met when my daughter's been in a lacrosse game or a school function or something that will comment on, you wear the most awesome clothes. I could never do that. And I'm like, what about me makes me think like, you know, especially you've got these like moms who could be supermodels, you know, they've got that 
size two figure and they're tall and willowy and beautiful. And I'm like, um, sweetie, if I can do this, you can do that. It all has right. to just do with like, you just have to not care what anybody else thinks right. about what you People like. always say, my hair it's color. Really and I'm like, I, to this podcast audience, I am not the only person who dyes my hair. And I don't even choose hot pink and purple. My hairstylist does. She has a plan. She's growing my hair out right now. Stay tuned in Louisville. My hair could be down on my butt by July. Who knows? Um, let experts do expert things. But it is fascinating what permission and what role modeling looks like, right? And that goes back yes. to the very beginning is that can you role model what self-awareness and self-responsibility looks like? My mantra, my tagline is do the best you can with what you've got some of the time. That's not like dry cleaned and put together, right? Like do the best you can with what you got some of the time, largely because it's better than not doing nothing. So, yeah. So fold the towels however you can. And right. And they're, the second they it. get used, they're getting ready to get unfolded. Relax. Very, very true. I just love, I love the podcast anyway, but I love when I feel like I'm more, I'm, I'm learning and growing while podcasting. Yes. I think that's a really great feeling and that's what I'm doing right now. So I, thank you. I really appreciate it. I also love when it feels like we're just talking to a friend. Like I, I'm yeah, like, oh yeah, we are talking. recording this for something. <laughs> that brings me joy. So I really appreciate it. Thanks. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So if there are other people who would like to experience this joy a little more firsthand, um, what is the best way, what's the best way you like for people to get in touch with you or if they want to find out more about your book or the kind of training? So the easiest thing do? to do to do all of those things in one place is to go to flamingo.day. Why not? Uh, flamingo.day, not sponsored by Amanda. But that is uh, a website that just re directs to a link tree and you can subscribe to my newsletter there, which obviously Kimberly's already a subscriber. Um, but you can subscribe to my newsletter there. Follow me on social medias. I've even started doing the Tiki Tucks. Watch out. I know it's very exciting. Um, otherwise my website is just at jesspettit.com. And um, some people can't spell my last name because they don't believe seven letters would be four of the same letter. So you can go to goodenoughnow.com and it redirects and it'll spell it for you. Lots of options, including exotic right. birds. Thank you. I like it. Yeah. And also, if you haven't heard yet, Jess is coming back. She must love us grant professionals. She's coming back for round three of us. Uh, the Grant Professionals Association annual conference this year is early November. I forget the exact dates. Uh, but early November in Louisville, not Louisville. It is Louisville. Oh, Louisville. Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky, and Jess is going to be there with us. So if you've thought about maybe attending a conference before, but you weren't sure, um, I think this may be your year because you get me and Kimberly and Jess and all the other fabulous grant professionals. That and uh, it may be, correct me if I'm wrong, it may be a hybrid option again this year. Will there it be is. Some, so, yep. you know, depending on where we are and what's going on, there will be yes. lots of options for you. Absolutely. And I'll be there for all of it. I can't wait. And I believe the second annual traditional spelling bee is also going to be a real thing again. And one of the things that I have been charged with doing is trying to figure out how to do this in a hybrid fashion. And I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to lie. I can't figure it out. But uh, the spelling bee will be real and Derby Pie 
is also real, which is generally not a, a virtual experience. It is more of an in-person experience. Mm-hmm. It really is. And let me tell you, I am very excited about that. I make derby pie often. And in Georgia, most people are like, what the heck is that? I mean, they like it, but they're like, I've never heard of this derby pie before, but uh, it certainly is a national treasure in Kentucky, which happens to be where I was born. Fun fact. Kentucky, baby. So, fun fact. Nice. Anyway, well, Jess, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show today. We appreciate all your insights and humor more than you can know. So thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had as much fun as we did. Wait, and again, uh, go to flamingo.day and subscribe, link, follow, click, whatever. Just wave generally at the screen. Whatever can happen, I'm happy to help. Thank you so much for having me, Kimberly and Amanda. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. No matter what you do in the grant fundraising world, Jess is going to have something for you, whether it is DUI related or humor or just insights into working with other people. Probably not DUI related. I've been sober for 18 hours. DEI. DEI. That was like a Southern accent. I'm mumbling. That was a Southern E. DEI. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I was like, do I say <laughs> it's too good of a riddle? What's funny? I saw you both lean and I thought, did I say something wrong? I know I didn't. Just for the record, we'd like to clarify that we are not going to test for DUI. It's blooper. And Derby. Too good of a blooper to not lean into. Literally. Oh, that's hilarious. I don't know. I think it What a way to end the show. Thanks again. Thank you again to our Season 5 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We so appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website at dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. Well, thank you for listening. Continued support is the reason we are back for Season 5. Please follow and leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts. Follow and share the shows with your friends. This really, really helps us reach other grant and fundraising professionals just like you. We're so honored you chose to spend time with us today and hope you'll tune in for our next episode. We're tackling another how-to. This is one of every grant writer's favorite question in the grant proposal. How will you fund this project when the grant is over? That's right. We're talking sustainability. Catch you in two weeks.